Hey everybody, thanks for coming back to part two of a talk with Grammy Award winning producer, composer, keyboardist, Michael B. We pick up where we left off from part one. Part of the valley they are, and it's the same thing with music. Yeah. They, can, they can play the chords, they can, but they're almost like parrots. You know, if they don't really know what it means to have that. I, I, if I can teach this next generation one thing, it would be to understand why something sounds the way it does. Yes. Why does that sound dissonant? Why does that sound happy? Why does that sound sad? Why is that, yeah. why is that tugging at your heartstrings? Because the fact is the biggest issue with today's music is it doesn't grab your heartstrings. No. Oh my gosh. I am so glad you said that. I, I've, there's so much music out there now that it, it's just out there. And, and <laughs> funny, I should it's say very pentatonic. It, yeah, it, it is. It's just there. And yeah, and it it's not the kind of like I grew up gravitating to seventh chords. Yeah, yeah. Because they're beautiful, they're pretty, right? Right. Um Ma major seventh chords? Major seventh chord. Minor yeah. sevenths too, actually. Minor sevenths too, yeah. Yeah. Um but you can't live in seventh world because it gets boring after a while. Right. But I did, and that's kind of what my departure is from my old projects right trying to get a, a fact i have a project that i've <laughs> called escape from seventh heaven <laughs> oh that's I, nice i haven't put it together yet i got a lot of songs and ideas but i haven't done them yet michael <clears throat> and um <laughs> but that that's exactly what i mean you know as as you grow older like what you're trying to teach is why do you why want to does get it away sound like sevenths? exactly yeah why would you want to do that yeah. you know you can you're not going anywhere if you're just staying in seventh heaven <laughs> right you got to progress to some you know dominant that's going to lead you back to the root and you, you know, or substitute that second out for the sixth or something like that yeah. and, and make it sound more interesting well and and that's it you just i mean Unfortunately, so many people learn because they're self-taught. It's hmm. just, it's one, two, three, five, six. <laughs> you know? And it's how many songs can you write like that? Uh, well. At some point, you have to really, <laughs> you, you have to understand why something sounds the way it interesting, does. you know? Just, just talk to someone who scores films. That's what was, I was just going to say that, you know, it's like that. I, I'm obsessed with that, by the way. Scoring? Yeah. Really? I can't do it, but I am oh. <laughs> just, I can't. Well, no, I don't, I don't know how John Williams sees a, a little boy and a Muppet in uh -huh. a field and, and that's it. And knows what, to and then and then he like. knows what to put there that makes everybody in the theater cry. Yeah, because you take the music out of the end of ET, and you're just going, "What the hell am I watching?" It's true, but you put the music to that, and you're falling. Well, you know and how to do that. Well, I know how. I know how. How he, I I know where 
he does it, but you know, and the chords that he chooses and the arrangements and, you know, the French horns come in here, but not to that level. I mean, that's why those guys just like Tom, Thomas Newman is my new Thomas guy. Newman, that yeah. guy is freaking amazing. Um, I liked James Horner. Han- James Horner. Yeah. I'll <laughs> give you him too. Um, I, I'm always just amazed at how they can see just because when these guys are writing this, they, they're just seeing the rough cuts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and and they write this amazing stuff around it. But the other thing too is they've got the arsenal that they come with in their knowledge, not just of of chords mm-hmm. and dissonance, but in what instrument in this sixty piece orchestra yes. is going to play that to to make it dramatic. The textures, you know? yep, yeah, and um. That that part is is in a different pay grade than what I'm doing. <laughs> That's definitely. But at the same time, I, I worry for for future movies because, at, you know, if if kids are learning on YouTube, how are you going to score the next? Mm-hmm. You know, well, like I, I you just said, don't know you, how to If you're not it. teaching them what you're talking about, then they're not. They're going to yeah. probably do it in AI. Give me a sad song for this scene. Mm-hmm. Give me a song and the that's AI sad will understand. And goes to happy at the end. Yeah. <laughs> and the AI will understand what to do. Yeah. Based yeah, that's, on that's what scary. John Williams and Horner and Thomas and yeah. Eric Mor- yep. Morricone. Yes. Ennio Morricone, I mean. Yeah. Based on what they did, it'll analyze it and and but it won't sound right <laughs> right it'll, yeah it'll, it'll sound off yep. because it's there's no human there's no humanity behind yep. it but um i remember the first i was watching um um american idol when harry connick mm-hmm. uh, was the judge mm-hmm. and this kid came out and he was a good singer but all his runs were pentatonic <laughs> and you know crowds going crazy and crazy and in my head i'm going god can you do anything other than a pentatonic run it's the same thing over and over and then harry connick goes you sound really you sound really pentatonic <laughs> and then they made fun of him for like what's pentatonic oh you're using big words and you know and then he had to like run with his tail beat behind his legs because they were all making fun of him for using these big words <sighs> but that's the problem you know, the, he was right. Mm-hmm. It was the best advice that kid ever got. And didn't know was it. expand your knowledge. <laughs> yeah. And then they made fun of Harry Connick for using a big word like pentatonic. It's five notes. <laughs> Pent- five notes. Penta- expand. Five. There's twelve. <laughs> Use them. <laughs> that's like that's just like saying you have five letters to work with. How many words can you make? Okay, now you got yeah. twelve. How many words can you make? Right. Now, and now, you know, that's the Hawaiian language, basically. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, it is. It's so true, though. But so let's let's talk about your producing, because this comes almost personal to me as far as your producer. And I'm going to go with that because I know you you compose and play and all of that but let's put on your producer hat you have 
last two weeks, not this week, I noticed, the last two weeks you had a number one. Uh, oh, it, was, it, it fell this week. Oh, yeah. I didn't, wasn't aware. It, it fell. Sorry. <laughs> uh, well, they always have to fall eventually. They do. But it stayed up there for two weeks, right? Yeah. Yeah. So this song was by uh, Roberto Restuccio. Roberto Restuccio. Yeah. Uh-huh. And you also played on that, but you produced this one, right, by yourself? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I would like that one started from Roberto, by the way. Oh, did it? It was a really slow. Uh huh. So, you're going to answer my question. What did you do to make that a number one chart? What does a producer do to get a song to be what it is? Um, that was a little different than normal because I I typically start the songs. Okay. You know, well, I come up I've with got a groove normal and, for something else. So go ahead. Oh yeah, <laughs> but this was one where he had he had an idea on his guitar, and it was just guitar and like a, a drum machine, but it was really slow. It's like mm-hmm. It was that slow. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what I heard, but I was like, this. If I speed this up, this is cool. Because it, there was something bluesy about the way he was playing his guitar mm-hmm. that I felt would just it would it lent itself better to let him you know be more aggressive if we sped up the tempo. Um, and then I kind of wrote a little chorus to it because it was kind of just a verse. Um, but that one started from him, mm-hmm. and and one thing I do. One thing as a producer that's especially with with um contemporary jazz is um you're you're writing melodies for an instrument and they don't necessarily translate, you know. What I can play on piano doesn't necessarily sound good on saxophone, right? Or trumpet. Trumpet has a really limited range, mm-hmm. you know. Um and so and and same with guitar, you know. So I I really make it a point to I'll, I'll come up with a rough melody, um, but I give the artist leeway to kind of do their own thing with it, the way their instrument would play it. Because mm. otherwise, it's you know paint by numbers and it sounds stiff and it doesn't work. Right. Um, and sometimes you know I I write it and it gets pretty good, but it's it's a it's a process to get it to sound like, oh, here's the melody. I'm going to play it just like this, you know, to sounding natural. Hmm. 
and not paint by numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that it and that's definitely a lot harder now that everybody's doing it at their place and emailing me the parts. Um, so sometimes I have to come back and say, you know what, just kind of close your eyes and you know, make it, make it, and don't necessarily deviate from from the melody. And that's what I did with Roberto on that song. Is it was started out slow, he sped it up, and and I gave him leeway to kind of do his own thing with that melody. And that one was a little easier because he he came up with the original verse section for that. But um, with other guys that I produce, you know, it, it takes a while. And then sometimes, you know, I'll have something I think is a really cool melody, and I'll give it to like Lynn Roundtree, and it'll come back totally different. Mm. And I'll go, why didn't you play that? And he goes, my trumpet doesn't go that high. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh shit, you're right. Okay, I gotta, re- I gotta rethink this now. <laughs> well, trumpet you know, doesn't go that high. <laughs> and, and when you say that, it sounds it's interesting because I did a melody that I played on flute for a song right. I wrote for a guy who did the lyrics, and he wanted me to do some music for it. And I wrote a melody and everything, and and then I myself tried to sing it just to, you know, see how it would sound. Ooh, yeah. talk about range! I'm like, uh, I play flute, and I wrote a melody for a flute, idiot. <laughs> <laughs> but then when my singer came in to sing that, I noticed that when when I took it up, she brought right. it down the octave. Oh, really? And I was like. I didn't want to. I didn't want yeah, to do that. Yeah, I deal with that all the time. It sounds yeah. good. Yeah. Well, you have to. You have to. Because it was out of her range. To be, yeah, you have to allow yourself to be open to changes like that. Oh yeah, uh, and that yeah. was perfect for that. It's like, why didn't I even think of that? <laughs> right. <laughs> I will say, I sing a lot of my melodies. Mm-hmm. I just, just feel to like see you, if you get them out of range. Yeah, and I think that sometimes you can just write better that way. Yeah. Because because um it's instrumental, but you want it to I mean part of what makes a song and, and the reason why lyrical music is so popular is because it's lyrical. It's got words <laughs> behind it. So, we don't have words, but if you can, you know, emphasize the the emotion just by singing it, it tends to lend itself better than just by hunting peck on the piano, you know? Yeah. So I do a lot of singing when I, you know, by myself. <laughs> I don't, don't want you anybody don't put to that hear. On tape? <laughs> no, you don't want to hear me doing that. But I actually wrote, I actually wrote Randy Scott's song, uh, Joyride. Yeah. That song went to number one. that in my car on the way to borrow's pizza nice i was i sang it 
and I was like, oh, I got a cool idea. And I just hit record. I stopped my car because you don't want to, you don't want to yeah. be on your phone when you're driving. <laughs> it's a public service announcement. <laughs> but um, yeah, I stopped it and I hit record and I just sang it. And it sounds horrible uh-huh. because it's me singing in a car. But I got the idea for it and wrote a, wrote a melody around it and that worked. Yeah, so, I used to do that too. I, I wrote one of my songs coming back from Tucson to Phoenix way back in the day when it was there was nothing between right. Tucson and Phoenix and I was on a motorcycle so didn't have a radio. Oh wow, you uh, were like you were I, I was, bad boy. I was lonely. <laughs> you were a bad boy, a lonely bad lonely boy. bad boy. On his on his Harley. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my my Suzuki 650 Harley. And Oh uh, wow. The Suzuki 650 <laughs> Harley. <laughs> and I wrote that song in, in my head. I yeah. had the whole thing written out in my head. Melody, chords, everything. Not like, you know, C to E to C. You know, I didn't have the right, literal right. chords, but the sound in my head. As soon as I hit the valley, it gets warmer at a certain point. And I was so relieved. I lost the melody. I'm like, no, 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 no. I know. Don't you hate that? <laughs> So I couldn't record it at the time. Yeah. So, but I got it back. That that happens. Yeah. But, um, I mean, getting back to Roberto, it's like that was, um, once we kind of figured out what the tempo we wanted to do and let him kind of do his thing, then it's just, you know, a matter of piecing it together. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, live drums on this particular one. And Mel, of course. <laughs> Picking the right people to play, to fill those Casting. spaces. Casting, yeah. yes. I pretty much use two bass players, and they're both Phoenix guys. Isn't that crazy? You, uh, Mel, Mel Brown and Mario Mendeville. Yes. I see why. <laughs> yeah. He they're, played on um, their iTunes. Yeah. They're, I put them up against anyone. Oh yeah, and they and they live right here in the valley, and I still never see them. <laughs> I still email me their parts because <laughs> I'm way out north. I see Mario. Every, I haven't seen him in a while, but I I see Mario just you know on a gig here and there. Yeah, um, I I love Mario. Yeah, and uh, I I don't get to see Mel as much as I I would like to because I consider Mel one of my really truly good friends. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm on the phone with Mel, we can talk for three hours like this. Yeah. We can talk. We, we talk like we were talking about just what you and I were just talking about as far as education, he's, but he's a, he's, he's a great guy too. Yeah, he really is. He's a much more wealth of knowledge than, than I am. But, um, I, it is cool to just know that there's two guys right in your Backyard, backyard that play yeah. as well as they do you know three you can join that group oh well i was just bringing a bass oh okay <laughs> I, I play a mean i do play a mean synth bass yeah I, bet. I am not making this up i actually got hired to play um a synth upright bass so you had the synth uh, uh, sound? The, it was the Trillion. I mean, I'm sorry, yeah. the upright sound? Yeah, that Trillion upright is sound is amazing. Yeah. But I will say that 
that I write pretty decent bass lines for a keyboard player, but it's all just because I've got 20 years of writing something and then giving it to Mel and Mario <laughs> and seeing what they do with it, uh, you know? And yeah. so then the next time, like I've programmed a, a couple songs. There's a couple songs in my top five group of that I, that I actually programmed bass on. And I do, and I, I had to remember it because I, I basically copied Mel's big thing. <laughs> Mel loves to fill over bar one. Yeah. That is such a Mel thing. It's like most guys fill at the end of a phrase mm-hmm. and then the downbeat. But Mel plays through the end of the phrase and then fills over the first few beats of bar one. Interesting. It's so counter intuitive yeah but it's so cool (laughs) and so now i i do that yeah i can give you so many examples and i do that now um and i totally got it from mel it's not (laughs) like i knew how to do that before he would do it and so i was like i'm gonna program that so i but anyway um it's i don't really i i'm free to do whatever i want because i know that i'm gonna give them my part and they're just going to make it so much better. So yeah, they're going to do what they do. Yeah. I can mess up and I can be crazy and experimental and, and I think it helps. It's interesting. You're the second yeah. character that I've heard say that it's like, what do I do as a producer? I get the right people in the room. <laughs> really is that, isn't it? Yeah. I do my own keyboards. I never program guitars. Don't even bother. I don't. Even it just know how doesn't you do. sound ever correct. So I give if I need an acoustic guitar, I give it to Thano. I need rhythm guitars, I give them to Freddie Fox. Mm. Um, and there's another one. There's Thano's right here. Yeah, I in know. The valley. I know, and, and that's another and one amazing. you can put up next to anybody. Yeah. Anybody. Anybody. Oh, and another one that's right in my our backyard too that now everybody's starting to notice is Bill Moyo. Oh yeah. Why are they just now starting to notice him? Oh, you're talking about the guitar brother. Yeah. Not the drummer, Don. Dom is great too. I mean Dom's, you know, a legend here in in the valley. Yeah. But um but Bill Yeah. Every time I give him something my Jeff Lunn at the label loves bill <laughs> and then i oh i'll go i'll go f- as far as saying this um bill's on my song let it breathe oh okay. that went to number one
So I get a call out of the blue from Tim Bowman, um, who's also one of my favorite people. Tim is, I just love Tim. He's he's just the greatest. He's so funny. But he calls me up and he goes, Michael B., how'd you get George Benson to play on your record? (laughs) And I go, what are you talking about? And he goes, that was George Benson that I just heard. I just had, I'm, I'm just listening to it right now and you can't tell me that's not George Benson. And I said, no, it's Bill Moyle. And he goes, get the fuck out of here, that's not Bill He had no idea who he was. And I mean, and, and you know, Tim's one of the best guitar players around too. And yeah. he was like, couldn't believe what he was hearing from Bill Moyle. Yeah. Um, I recorded him and his brother and Fred Forney. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, what was that place that closed down? Oh, I know what you're talking about. The, the, be t- it's, they're up on a stage. You know what, what I'm yeah, talking about? Yeah, I do. I'm blanking. Yeah. I, I got the pleasure of recording them. Uh, yeah. Bill and Dom were playing on that gig, and Fred Forney was playing, and uh, they were just playing a bunch of jazz charts. And, I think Mike King was on bass. Oh, Mike King, yeah. Mike's another great bass player. Yeah. I've done a few, I haven't done anything with him in a while, but um yeah, and then Thano, I mean, it's it's amazing how many people just love his sound. Yeah. And they're There's all Phoenix guys, you know. They're all Phoenix. And then, you know, Freddie's not a Phoenix guy. I I've, I've been doing stuff. Freddie's my rhythm guy and I just he's my only guy. Mhm. And right. Freddie Freddie's big thing, my biggest issue with Freddie is I'll I'll give him something and then I'll get twenty tracks of guitar <laughs> back. <laughs> and then I have to sift through it. But it's all like brilliant, you know? Yeah. And it's all funky as hell and all awesome and it just kills on the track every time. <laughs> but it's it's not two tracks of rhythm and a wall. Mm-hmm. It's Eight tracks of fills and <laughs> just stuff that a producer might want to use. Yeah, right. and right, and I love it. I mean, and, and he gives it to me, and and it's it's awesome. So that's why I always come back, and um, because he he cares. Yeah. You know what that tells me is he cares. Yeah, oh, absolutely. You know, and when you get back yeah. twenty tracks from somebody, that's someone who cares. Yeah, and that's that's why I love him. Yeah, but it is funny, you know. And then uh, there's good drummers here too. Uh, oh, John Herrera is on my record. And I uh, love John. That's who I was talking about. Oh, John, <laughs> he was the yeah. other one that said, you know, what I do for as a producer, I put the right people in the room. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> well, John does a lot more live recording than I do, so yeah, yeah he really has to know how to how to do that. Um, but I love going over to his studio. And it's a long drive for me, too. Mm-hmm. But every time he calls me, he says, hey, Mike, do you want to play on something? Yeah. <laughs> just for the hang. For no other reason than just to hang out, you know? <laughs> I don't mind that it's a 50-minute drive because yeah. I, I love hanging out. I know. But, yeah, yeah John's a fantastic drummer, too. Yeah. Um, he's on one of my podcasts. You'll have to hear Oh, him. is he? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's a great guy, too. I love John. And John's an original uh, Turning Point member, too. Yeah, we had a story about that. That was another one of the questions I had about the percussion slash drummer positions. 
Right. Because you guys well, originally had it split. At it was first. Bruce. Yeah, it was Bruce Stadola. Stadola, yeah, on drums, and John was playing percussion. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that was a really good uh, explanation for me of what happened because I I knew that for uh, about a minute and a half, and the next thing I know, there's a drummer who's playing all this percussion stuff at the same time. And yeah. I was thinking, hold on, didn't weren't there two people at one point? So he explained that to me in that podcast that you yeah. can listen to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was kind of, by the time that switch happened, I was kind of out because I was playing with the Connie Cole band at that time. Did it go that yeah. long? Because um, you, it seems I, like I, you played with them for a while before you hit Connie Cole. Yeah, well, um, I mean, Turning Point basically started with Thano and I just writing some stuff together. Um, and then it kind of blossomed into a band. Um, but that was 90... We didn't finish that first CD until 94. And then I joined Connie's band in 97, so it was like three... Okay, two or three like years. It was a four-year run. But, but when I left, it was... John was still playing percussion and Bruce was the drummer. Hmm. So when Bruce became the, when uh, John became the full-time drummer, that was after I'd left. All right. Well, maybe that's why I had that feeling in my head that I knew there were uh, two different, you know, discrete players because it, it happened longer. It, it was playing like that longer than I remembered. Right. Right. Yeah. If, if you look at, I mean, this, the funny thing is, is I, I co-founded, Turning Point with Thano and Dimitri. Mm-hmm. But I was only in it for like four years. <laughs> so if you really think about it, that's that's a band that's that's a 30-year-old band. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, okay. Steve Culp has been the, the keyboard player for 25 of those. That is a long time, and it yeah. doesn't seem that long. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Um, fortunately for them... Steve kind of picked up nicely where you left off. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. That's, Steve's there's great. another keyboardist. It's Steve's a, a great keyboard player. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know what's funny is, for all of the, you know, typically with, with bands break up, th- there was definitely some animosity when I left, mm-hmm. um, um, because we were really close. You know, I got why there was animosity. I just, I had to just, I, I, I was really struggling you know yeah we, we just weren't gigging and i was teaching piano lessons and i really had this thirst for for producing on my own and the connie cole band was that opportunity for me and it, but it was a five night a week gig and i was Connie's? still teaching yeah how, so there's no way i could there was no way i could do both how oh you mean turning point and connie yeah yeah, yeah I, I was, was wondering about that back in yeah. the day um, but well, I was you know, pro- I was sense. producing her record. I did her her places. Oh, you CD. produced that whole thing too. Yeah, I I wrote and produced. That, that is one my Connie. favorite CD of hers. Is it? Oh yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. 
yeah. Well, that was, and that's the reason why I, you know, that was. I, I listen to that now, and I, oh, I hear things I did wrong because it was really kind of the first time I, I had control over something, um, and, and wasn't because in Turning Point we did everything together. It was all a band. This mm-hmm. was the first one where they said, "Here, write, write the songs and produce it. You're, you're in charge." Wow, wow, and, and that's what I, that's what I wanted. Yeah, then, but at the at the time it was it was that was the first time I ever did anything like that, and so, but between that and playing five nights a week, there's no way I could continue a turning point. But um, we're all really still close. I'm still really good friends with Bruce. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Bruce. He's he's and and Bruce is doing great as a drummer still. But um, yeah, at, at that point I just couldn't do all of it. I I, I had. Um, you know, five nights a week at, at the point. Did I ever see you? Did you ever come up to the point? Because I that's sure how I did. met Marion. That's how I met Marion. I saw you, you know, if I hadn't done that, Marian. here's the interesting thing. If I hadn't done that, I wouldn't have met Marion and I wouldn't have met my wife. Oh. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Yeah, no, not really. That's really, I mean. Because you were that little baby faced boy that everybody <laughs> loved. I'm, I'm still a baby that. face. You are. <laughs> you are. I look at your pictures today and I'm like, age, dang it. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, yeah, I've met, but yeah, I've met my wife there, met Marion. Yeah. Marion was the, the catapult because Marion helped, Marion ultimately helped me produce places with Connie because they kind of, they, I think they kind of realized this 20, some kid <laughs> needs help because you know Connie was you know, a mature woman who ne- needed to feel like there was someone that kind of knew what they were doing, and I didn't blame her. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually playing, by the way, with Connie. In I'm playing with her Washington, at the MIM, DC? and no, uh, coming up in January. She's coming back in January. Yeah, I'm going to play with her at the MIM. I did not know this. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna play hey, with her. Hook a brother up with some tickets, man. You got. It. <laughs> She'll do it. I'll hook you up. I'll hook you up. But uh, I mean, that was a great experience too. But but it, it I I guess I did well enough to where Marion said, um, I I I think you could work with me. You know. That's nice. really what what led. I, Did you I write felt, places like uh, write and arrange? I that? co-wrote everything on that record. Yeah, man, those are amazing arrangements. So I'm here to tell you right now is stop listening to what you think you did wrong. I've listened to that <laughs> CD so many times I can't hear anything. I don't. I, hear well, wrong. I just part of it was I was a kid. You know, I was just a kid, and I and I was you know, but. Well, I got my start with Turning Point. I, I thought when I wrote all of that stuff. Yeah, you who know? put the Greek influence in there? Uh, it wasn't me. <laughs> I think it was them. That's what I really <laughs> liked about that group, the, yeah. the Greek influence to what you guys oh, were God, doing. Yeah. Oh, he did so much stuff on Bazooki. I, I still want to I wanna produce something with Bazooki hmm. and just have Thano go crazy, crazy go with bazooks. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, the I you know that Connie Cole experience was was um, 
great for me. And I, I, I felt at some point that I, I kind of failed, but you know, I listen back and I'm, I'm proud serious? of these songs. Well, no, just because I, I know how I do it now. You know how it is. Yeah. You, know, you, you grow, hindsight. you grow and you, yeah. It, yeah. It's all hindsight. Um, but, um, I, um, I did enough right to where Marion said, you know, do stuff for me. Yeah. And exactly. that, that led to, that led to in deep, which led to players club, which led to George Benson, which led to tripping and rhythm, which mm-hmm. led to this, which led to me having a conversation with you. <laughs> exactly. See how that <laughs> to all be, rolls? To be, to be important enough to be the, the subject of a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> The climax of your life is happening right as we speak. <laughs> yeah. Today, I mean, because you were mentioning it, because yeah. I, I did the Dave Cos show today. today. And yeah. this one. Holy crap. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're the man. I'm telling you. Yeah, man. Everybody wants a piece of me now. <laughs> <laughs> so you did get, oh, you funny. did, though, but you did get to produce one of the songs on George and Al Jarreau's seat albums. Yeah. And I am dying to hear how that experience went. Well, I just had finished... um, Well, I can't say I just finished it, um, but Players Club had just run its course. Marion's one. And that was like the first taste of radio success from something that I produced. Mm-hmm. Because that was, in fact, Suede is probably the best performing single I've ever written. Ever. And I don't even think there's a close second. Yeah, Marion Meadows Suede. That might be one I was listening to and didn't know you produced it. Yeah. Let's see here. I think that's got like 15 million plays on Spotify or something ridiculous like that for a smooth jazz song. It's just insane. Yeah, I know. No kidding. <laughs> but um, the uh, Suede and Sweet Grapes were the two singles from that that both charted in the top five. Mm. And um, I was getting ready to do Dressed to Chill. Uh, we didn't know at that. It was just this next record. We didn't. There was none of these songs are named. By the way, when you're producing them mm-hmm. they're they're song bpm 100 <laughs> yeah. and then suddenly can. it has a name <laughs> yeah that's what suede song suede was song bpm 100 <laughs> well, i guess and i know the tempo suede. of that now <laughs> yeah but um uh i out of the blue and this is when i lived uh down by a uh, paradise valley mall um 
and we had just had Andrew. Alyssa was two. And I get a call from Concord Records, and it's uh, John Burke. And he says, um, George Benson is doing a record with Al Jarreau, and most of it is vocal. We have Jill Scott, Herbie Hancock. He starts naming off all these names. <laughs> I'm going, where is this going? Why am I I'm on the, yeah. this phone call? <laughs> and then he says, we want him to do a couple smooth jazz tunes. And George just moved to Phoenix. And he loves the Marion Meadows record. You're, are you the guy that produced that? We just want to make sure. And I go, yeah. And he goes, well, George really wants to work with you and do something like that. And he lives, he lives in Phoenix. Are you interested in doing a, a song or two with George Benson? And I don't know how I even answered that. You're probably like, let me because think about this. I was, yep. my, because my heart was racing like mm. a million miles an hour. I'm sure I was like, my speech was jumbled and <laughs> my breathing, I probably Elevated. sounded like a wreck. Yeah. And I said yes, and I hung up the phone, and I just panted, and I paced, and I was like, this is the greatest opportunity I've ever had in my life. I'm going to blow it. There's no, I'm not at this level. There's no way I can do this. I'm going to be humiliated, but I have to do it. I get you got to do it. Just buckle down and do it. And I just had all these conversations in my head. Wow. <laughs> and so I eventually, um, oh, and then I went to the wrong house <laughs> when I met with him. Because this is the funniest thing. Um, one of my former students had told me literally like two months before this that they'd sold their house to George Benson. And I was like, oh, the old house where I, where I taught, you know. I'm really close with a lot of my old mm -hmm. piano students, by the way. It's kind of funny. Cool. I, I still keep in touch with a lot of them. But I, you know, and this was one of them. I just saw him and they were like, hey, isn't this cool? We sold our house to George Benson. And so I kind of knew he was in town. Mm -hmm. Well, they'd moved <laughs> since I taught their kids. <laughs> Whoops. So I show up, and it's a cleaning lady. <laughs> and I go, <laughs> doesn't speak English. And I go, is, is this George Benson's house? And she, she just stared at me for like <laughs> And then I, I got on the phone, and I said, George, I'm, I'm here. And he goes, <laughs> and he goes, what address are you at? And... I told him, he goes, that's not my address. And I'm like, great, this is such a great start. Yeah, great start, man. <laughs> I'm, great I'm off start. to a great start. I'm going to be late. <laughs> I show up at the wrong house. Um, but, you know, I got there, and, and it was great, and he was really cool. surreal when someone like that is complimentary of you mm. you know yeah when he goes oh, i love that mary Meadows," and and that just i i still to this day just 
it's so weird when someone that's like your idol yeah. is familiar with your work. Really? <laughs> I just did it. And before that, I was teaching piano lessons. This isn't happening. Um, but we did morning. The best part about this story, Tony, is we we did morning and um, uh, what was the other one? Was a John Legend tune? Um, you did two on that CD? Yeah, I did two. Really? Um, Ordinary people. That was the other one. And um, and then and I played on a third that was the one with Paul McCartney. That was the crazy oh. one, but. So we're in the studio. I don't even remember what it was, but it was a huge studio here in Phoenix. Um, massive, right? Mm-hmm. And I had already done the basic tracks, just kind of like how I did with Mary. And I did a drum program. George really liked the, the direction I was going with more. And this is not one I wrote. This was, uh, uh, Al Jarreau did this. Yeah. yeah. So I came up with something that was a kind of a cool groove. And George really liked it. So we go to this and it was kind of overkill that we were in this massive studio to just <laughs> lay down an electric guitar part you know ultimately they just had a mic sticking in front of an amp mm-hmm. but they had him going through all these plugins he was literally playing with at least a half second latency oh my goodness so i mean for people who listen to this it's like you play a note on the guitar and then you hear it a split second later yeah and so when you're playing a run nothing is you're not hearing back anything as you're playing it. It's delayed. Mm-hmm. And I could tell it was driving him nuts. And I'm sitting there thinking, it. he didn't. And and I'm sitting here looking at these guys running the studio. We were, we were there for six hours. And I'm like, why are you running him through plugins with latency when you've got, you know, this insane, <laughs> you know, the, the, like a wall of compressors and you know this the amount of rack equipment they had there was insane just run them through one of them you know mm-hmm. post run it you know record it dry exactly and and just and then run it post through that so he can hear himself with some verb and compressed and why are you running it through these and and I could never figure out why they did it that way but he was really frustrated and and ultimately I'm just sitting there watching the whole thing Mm-hmm. I'm not doing anything. And he turns to me and he goes, can you do better than this? <laughs> I'm not kidding. That's exactly what he said. Wow. He, while they were fussing with something. Mm-hmm. He said, can you do better than this? And I said, yeah, I think I can. And it was so crazy because, yeah, I think I can in my house <laughs> <laughs> with my new computer that I just figured out five years ago. Before that, I was on a four-track recorder of the cassette. <laughs> can, I'm going to do better than these guys in this massive studio. And But I'm like, yeah, I think I can because I'm a musician and these guys aren't. And I know why he's frustrated and I'm just blown away that they can't read the room. Yeah, yeah. How are they not seeing this? Read yeah. the room. He's clearly frustrated, and you don't need the plugins um, to record it. It's not even good. You're not even recording them down and, to tape. So it's all post. 
They're, I mean, can you understand that, Tony? It's like they, they were crazy that they were doing this. I mean, he had so much latency, and it wasn't even necessary because it wasn't even been, being recorded. I was going to ask you that. Down to the Pro Tools. Yeah. So they weren't recording so, with the plugins. They were only no. for him to hear it in his he was, headphone monitor. Right. And they had all this outboard gear, and they just refused to use it. And I, and I told George, I said, I, I don't know if I'm better than these guys or can get a better sound. But I guarantee you, when you play a note, you will hear it when you play when the you note. you play it, exactly. I mean, how like low standards are we at at this point <laughs> when I'm getting, he's going to get away from this massive studio and come to my house because of that. But that's what happened. And so he came over, and I didn't have any room to, to record him because it was, you know, we were getting ready to move because mm. we just had Andrew, and we were kind of getting stuffed in that house. So I literally put his guitar amp in my son's room next to his crib. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I took a screwdriver and I poked a hole in the bottom of the wall, and I ran a cable <laughs> through the drywall into my son's room. I stuck a mic in front of the amp, and I had him also run a direct line. Yeah. I, so I knew how to do yeah, that. Both. Yeah. And everything he heard was as as he heard it. He played it in two takes. <laughs> Funny how that works when you can hear two yourself. Two takes, and he was done. <laughs> and that recording next to my son's crib is the one that won the Grammy. Wow. <laughs> and you oh know what's so gosh. cool oh, is wait, that... Wait, wait, hold on. Wait, wait for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but what's so funny is I was so embarrassed. Yeah. You know? Because he's he drives a Rolls Royce. Mm. And, I'm, and, and it's not my house wasn't... Yeah, I, I I like my house, um, and but I'm living you know in a ranch style '70s home next to PV Mall. Um, it's hardly the ghetto, but it's it's not the eight thousand square foot mansion that he's living in with his you know not, you know garage with forty seven cars in it. And he's at my house and recording. You know, with some kid and with a mic, you know, up to an amp next to a baby crib. (laughs) I'm like, this has got like George Benson has got to be sitting here going, what has become of my life? That this is is where I'm at right now, that I'm here at this kid's house, you know, and and I was I was embarrassed. but he uh, he literally told me some of the best stuff I've ever done. And I think he was even bringing up, um, I'm probably wrong on this, but I, I think he brought up um, Breezen, mm-hmm. where he where some of it was recorded in a closet. Yeah. Closets and, are great for recording. Yeah. And he's like, I, you know, I'm from Philly. I don't care. You know, that, and that's the, that's the cool part. And that's when you really know you've working with a pro mm-hmm. because sometimes those amazing parts come from a closet, Yeah, you know? And yeah. so that's that. And that was what was cool. He, he didn't care and he was a pro 
And I'll always remember that because he he showed that that you don't have to, you know, be in this amazing studio and we got we got the best part out of him in my <laughs> crazy little house. And that's probably why he probably felt at home. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think yeah. sometimes you miss being around that. Yeah, absolutely. There's nothing wrong with Gonzo recording sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I, I've recorded stuff out of here, and it's not a studio studio like that. And you get, you know, you, you're relaxed, so you yeah. get the performance. That's what I've done in this studio, is made it relaxing. Yeah. I'm looking at that couch right now. <laughs> it's calling you. It's nice. <laughs> getting late is it calling couch you? Is looking, that couch is looking nice right now <laughs> it's real my relaxing wife, my over wife here. decorates this place it's like i put this room together and she makes it look amazing yeah I'm pretty fortunate yeah I, I would have driven up there i would have liked to have seen it but you know. you're always welcome to come over here uh, yeah where's it's here, a drive man? i'm i'm yeah, <laughs> don't put it on west here. peoria <laughs> I know where you're at, but I don't know where you're at. But I'm gonna find you. I'm. I'm. It, what's funny is I'm. I was way out there, but the way they build this valley, it's oh, not yeah. even way out there anymore. Nope. You are just a stone's throw away from Flagstaff, and you're right in the neighborhood of Phoenix. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Yeah. So that that was a good story, though. Um, I was. You you had to work with Al though too, yes. Uh, Al Ortiz? No. Oh, I like Al Ortiz too, but no, Al Jarreau. Al was the bass player on on Connie's record, and I love Al. By yeah, the way, yeah, I do too. You know, Al's play. Al's like that's. I can't believe I forgot Al. Al's yeah, Stevie bass. Nicks good bass player for the last twenty five years. <laughs> I mean, there's some amazing musicians here in Phoenix we don't even know about. Is he still here? He, yeah, he still Aside lives here. from traveling? But he's traveling all the time, yeah. Yeah, I um, like that too. He, and he's he still, was... he's still Al. I mean, every time you talk to him, he's still Al. But he sent me a text the other day, and it was him at, like, Madison Square Garden. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you son of a bitch. That's cool. There's just, like, a packed stadium. Yeah. But, um, no, you were, you, I'm sorry, you, you meant al jarreau yes um, no i i did not get to meet al jarreau i didn't meet paul mccartney either hmm. but it was kind of sad because even george was saying he he was starting to see al's health kind of degenerate at that time yeah was that his last album i don't I th- know I to be honest it might have been. maybe but george was was concerned yeah. And that, and he still, you know, he had some years left, but it, it was showing. Mm-hmm. Well, at least according, not to me, I didn't know him, but according to George, um, his health had started to take a, a turn. But no, I didn't get to work with him. But um, he scatted on morning, mm-hmm. and I got the I got the scats back. I, it's really cool when I can open up an archive and there's Al Jarreau scat. Yes. That's cool. Who 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 decided to do the? Believe it or not, that was yeah. I well, I had done that. I had picked out that groove because that was kind of the all the single ladies groove. Remember? 
That was like a big thing back then. That boom, ch, ch, boom, ch, ch, oh yeah, grew. yeah. Uh, all the single all ladies, the single ladies. All the yeah. single ladies. and and so I, you know, I was kind of like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna own this because they, they're working with me because they want someone to kind of have a fresh perspective towards smooth jazz. So I'm gonna go really fresh and build the song around a Beyonce song. Yeah. <laughs> and so I actually don't think Al Jarreau is really fond of it. If I if I recall correctly, I remember hearing an interview and he. And he said something like, I wasn't really sure about this one, but I, I like it now. <laughs> but that, but that's what he said. It was, and I, I heard that. And I was like, oh, wow, okay. Well, that's, that's another one of my favorite CDs, actually. Yeah. But the um, whole thing. I, think, I think, you know, they, George and John pretty much conceptualized it. So that was probably one of theirs. It was either John or George that decided, hey, let's get um, Al to scat. Mm-hmm. So. No, it's good CD. Good CD. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, wow. Absolutely. What more can I ask you? You've, you've kind of you've hit all the spots that I was trying to find out about. And more. Much more. Well, thanks. I hope I didn't ramble too much. But not at all. Not in, not in my mind, you didn't. So... I will I will let you though start looking at that couch more seriously. Thank you. <laughs> Cuz I do appreciate the time and I don't want to take up too much of it. So Thank you Tony. This was a fun conversation. I actually really enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you. I, I enjoy talking too. like this. This is just like talking. Right? You know. This doesn't really feel like an interview. Yeah, this was almost rec- uh, uh, reminiscing a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it was. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this week's episode of Music, The Bed of Life. It's been a pleasure working with Michael and talking with him, and we will have this out for you and all the information that you need to know about where you can find Michael B. in the description. Thanks for listening. Thanks, guys. See you next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. For more information about this show and past episodes, go to www.musicthebedoflife.com. Please like, share, and subscribe to stay informed of new episodes. Join your host, Anthony V. Simuel, on the next quest to discover how music plays such an important part of our lives and the many individuals responsible for making it happen.